Chapter 12 of The Recollections of Rifleman Harris, edited by Henry Curling. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Retreat to Corana Many trivial things which happened during the retreat to Corunna, and which on any other occasion might have entirely passed from my memory, have been, as it were, branded into my remembrance, and I recollect the most trifling incidents which occurred from day to day during that march. I remember, amongst other matters, that we were joined, if I may so term it, by a young recruit, when such an addition was anything but wished for during the disasters of the hour one of the men's wives who were struggling forward in the ranks with us presenting a ghastly picture of illness misery and fatigue being very large in the family way towards evening stepped from amongst the crowd and lay herself down amidst the snow a little out of the main road her husband remained with her and i heard one or two hasty observations amongst our men that they had taken possession of their last resting place the enemy were indeed not far behind at this time the night was coming down and their chance seemed in truth but a bad one to remain behind the column of march in such weather was to perish and we accordingly soon forgot all about them to my surprise however i some little time afterwards being myself then in the rear of our party again saw the woman she was hurrying with her husband after us and in her arms she carried the babe she had just given birth to her husband and herself between them managed to carry that infant to the end of the retreat where we embarked god tempers the wind it is said to the shorn lamb and many years afterwards i saw that boy a strong and healthy lad the woman's name was maguire a sturdy and hardy irish woman and lucky was it for herself and babe that she was so as that night of cold and sleet was in itself sufficient to try the constitution of most females i lost sight of her i recollect on this night when the darkness came upon us but with the dawn to my surprise she was still amongst us the shoes and boots of our party were now mostly either destroyed or useless to us from foul roads and long miles and many of the men were entirely barefooted with knapsacks and accoutrements altogether in a dilapidated state the officers were also for the most part in as miserable a plight they were pallid way-worn their feet bleeding and their faces overgrown with beards of many days growth what a contrast did our corpse display even at this period of the retreat to my remembrance of them on the morning their dashing appearance captivated my fancy in ireland many of the poor fellows now near sinking with fatigue reeled as if in a state of drunkenness and altogether i thought we looked the ghosts of our former selves still we held on resolutely our officers behaved nobly and crawford was not to be daunted by long miles fatigue or fine weather many a man in that retreat caught courage from his stern eye and gallant bearing indeed i do not think the world ever saw a more perfect soldier than general crawford it might be on the night following the disaster i have just narrated that we came to a halt for about a couple of hours in a small village and together with several others i sought shelter in the stable of a sort of farmhouse the first roof i saw near 
Here, however, we found nothing to refresh ourselves with, by way of food, but some raw potatoes lying in a heap in one of the empty stalls, and which, for want of better rations, we made a meal of before we threw ourselves down upon the stones with which the place was paved. Meanwhile, others of the men, together with two or three of our officers, more fortunate than ourselves, had possession of the rooms of the adjoining building, where they found at last a fire to warm themselves. Lieutenant Hill had a black servant with him in this retreat, a youth he had brought with him from Montevideo, where, I heard, the rifles had found him tied to a gun they had captured there. This lad came and aroused me as I lay in the mule stable, and desired me to speak with his master in the adjoining room. I found the lieutenant seated in a chair by the fire when I entered. He was one of the few amongst us who rejoiced in the possession of a tolerably decent pair of boots, and he had sent for me to put a few stitches in them, in order to keep them from flying to pieces. I was so utterly wearied that I at first refused to have anything to do with them, but the officer, taking off his boots, insisted upon my getting out my wax threads and mending them and himself and servant, thrusting me into the chair he arose from, put the boots into my hands, got out my shoemaking implements, and held me up as I attempted to cobble up the boots. It was, however, in vain that I tried to do my best towards the lieutenant's boots. After a few stitches I fell asleep as I worked, the awl and wax ends falling to the ground. I remember there were two other officers present at the time, lieutenants Molloy and Keppel the latter of whom soon afterwards fell dead from fatigue during this retreat. At the present time, however, they all saw it was in vain to urge me to mend Lieutenant Hill's boots. He therefore put them on again with a woeful face and a curse, and dismissed me to my repose. Our rest was not, however, of long duration. The French were upon our trail, and before long we were up and hurrying onwards again. As the day began to dawn, we passed through another village, a long straggling place. The houses were all closed at this early hour, and the inhabitants mostly buried in sleep, and, I dare say, unconscious of the armed thousands who were pouring through their silent streets. When about a couple of miles from this village, Crawford again halted us for about a quarter of an hour. It appeared to me that, with returning daylight, he wished to have a good look at us this morning, for he mingled amongst the men as we stood leaning upon our rifles, gazing earnestly in our faces as he passed, in order to judge of our plight by our countenances. He himself appeared anxious, but full of fire and spirit, occasionally giving directions to the different officers, and then speaking words of encouragement to the men. It is my pride now to remember that General Crawford seldom omitted a word in passing to myself. On this occasion, he stopped in the midst, and addressed a few words to me, and glancing down at my feet, observed, What? No shoes, Harris, I see, eh? None, sir, I replied. They have been gone many days back. He smiled and passed on, spoke to another man, and so on through the whole body. Crawford was, I remember, terribly severe during this retreat, if he caught anything like pilfering amongst the men. As we stood, however, during this short halt, a very tempting turnip field was close on the side of us, and several of our men were so ravenous that although he was on our very ranks, they stepped into the field and helped themselves to the turnips, devouring them like famishing wolves. He either did not or would not observe the delinquency this time, and soon afterwards gave the word, and we moved on once more. 
About this period I remember another sight, which I shall not to my dying day forget, and it causes me a sore heart even now as I remember it. Soon after our halt beside the turnip field, the screams of a child near me caught my ear and drew my attention to one of our women who was endeavouring to drag along a little boy of about seven or eight years of age. The poor child was apparently completely exhausted and his legs failing under him. The mother had occasionally, up to this time, been assisted by some of the men, taking it in turn to help the little fellow on. But now all further appeal was in vain. No man had more strength than it was necessary for the support of his own carcass, and the mother could no longer raise the child in her arms, as her reeling pace too plainly showed. Still, however, she continued to drag the child along with her. It was a pitiable sight, and wonderful to behold the efforts the poor woman made to keep the boy amongst us. At last the little fellow had not even strength to cry but, with mouth wide open, stumbled onwards, until both sank down to rise no more. The poor woman herself had, for some time, looked a moving corpse, and when the shades of evening came down, they were far behind amongst the dead or dying in the road. This was not the only scene of the sort I witnessed amongst the women and children during that retreat. Poor creatures! They must have bitterly regretted not having accepted the offer which was made to them to embark at Lisbon for England, instead of accompanying their husbands into Spain. The women, however, I have often observed, are most persevering in such cases, and are not to be persuaded that their presence is often a source of anxiety to the corpse they belong to. I do not think I ever admired any man who wore the British uniform more than I did General Crawford. I could fill a book with descriptions of him, for I frequently had my eye upon him in the hurry of action. It was gratifying to me, too, to think he did not altogether think ill of me, since he has often addressed me kindly when, from adverse circumstances, you might have thought that he had scarcely spirits to cheer up the men under him. The rifles liked him, but they also feared him, for he could be terrible when insubordination showed itself in the ranks. You think, because you are riflemen, you may do whatever you think proper, said he, one day, to the miserable and savage-looking crew around him, in the retreat to Corona. But I'll teach you the difference before I have done with you. I remember one evening, during the retreat, he detected two men straying away from the main body. It was in the early stages of that disastrous flight, and Crawford knew well that he must do his utmost to keep the division together. He halted the brigade with a voice of thunder, ordered a drumhead court-martial on the instant, and they were sentenced to a hundred apiece. Whilst this hasty trial was taking place, Crawford dismounted from his horse, stood in the midst, looking stern and angry as a worried bulldog. He did not like retreating at all, that man. The three men nearest him, as he stood, were Jagger, Dan Howans, and myself. All were worn, dejected, and savage though nothing to what we were after a few days more of the retreat. The whole brigade were in a grumbling and discontented mood, and Crawford, doubtless, felt ill-pleased with the aspect of affairs altogether. Damn his eyes, muttered Howans. He had much better try to get us something to eat and drink than harass us in this way. No sooner had Howans disburdened his conscience of this growl than Crawford, who had overheard it, turning sharply round, seized the rifle out of Jagger's hand and felled into the earth with the butt-end. 
it was not i who spoke said jagger getting up and shaking his head you should have knocked me about i heard you sir said crawford and i will bring you also to a court-martial i am the man who spoke said howans ben jagger never said a word very well returned crawford then i'll try you sir and accordingly when the other affair was disposed of howans's case came on by the time the three men were tried it was too dark to inflict the punishment howans however had got the compliment of three hundred promised to him so crawford gave the word to the brigade to move on he marched all that night on foot and when the morning dawned i remember that like the rest of us his hair beard and eyebrows were covered with the frost as if he had grown white with age we were indeed all of us in the same condition scarcely had our time to notice the appearance of morning before the general once more called a halt we were then on the hills ordering a square to be formed he spoke to the brigade as well as i can remember in these words after having ordered the three before named men of the ninety-fifth to be brought into the square although said he i should obtain the goodwill neither of the officers nor the men of the brigade here by so doing i am resolved to punish these three men according to the sentence awarded even though the french are at our heels begin with daniel howans this was indeed no time to be lax in discipline and the general knew it the men as i said were some of them becoming careless and ruffianly in their demeanour whilst others again i saw with the tears falling down their cheeks from the agony of their bleeding feet and many were ill with dysentery from the effects of the bad food they had got hold of and devoured on the road our knapsacks too were a bitter enemy on this prolonged march many a man died i am convinced who would have borne up well to the end of the retreat but for the infernal load we carried on our backs my own knapsack was my bitterest enemy i felt it press me to the earth almost at times and more than once felt as if i should die under its deadly embrace the knapsacks in my opinion should have been abandoned at the very commencement of the retrograde movement as it would have been better to have lost them altogether if by such loss we could have saved the poor fellows who as it was died strapped to them on the road there was some difficulty in finding a place to tie howans up as the light brigade carried no halberts however they led him to a slender ash tree which grew near at hand don't trouble yourself about tying me up said howans folding his arms i'll take my punishment like a man he did so without a murmur receiving the whole three hundred his wife who was present with us i remember was a strong hardy irish woman when it was over she stepped up and covered howans with his grey greatcoat the general then gave the word to move on i rather think he knew the enemy was too near to punish the other two delinquents just then so we proceeded out of the cornfield in which we had been halted and toiled away upon the hills once more howans's wife carrying the jacket knapsack and pouch which the lacerated state of the man's back would not permit him to bear it could not have been i should think more than an hour after the punishment had been inflicted upon howans when the general again gave the word for the brigade to halt and once more formed them into a square we had begun to suppose that he intended to allow the other two delinquents to escape under the present difficulties and hardships of the retreat he was not however one of the forgetful sort when the discipline of the army under him made severity necessary bring out the two other men of the ninety-fifth said he who were tried last night 
The men were brought forth accordingly, and their lieutenant colonel, Hamilton Wade, at the same time stepped forth. He walked up to the general, and, lowering his sword, requested that he would forgive these men, as they were both of them good soldiers, and had fought in all the battles of Portugal. I order you, sir, said the general, to do your duty. These men shall be punished. The lieutenant colonel, therefore, recovering his sword, turned about, and fell back to the front of the rifles. One of the men, upon this, I think it was Armstrong, immediately began to unstrap his knapsack and prepare for the lash. Crawford had turned about meanwhile and walked up to one side of the square. Apparently he suddenly relented a little and, again turning sharp round, returned towards the two prisoners. Stop, said he. In consequence of the intercession of your lieutenant colonel, I will allow you thus much. You shall draw lots and the winner shall escape, but one of the two I am determined to make an example of. The square was formed in a stubble field, and the sergeant major of the rifles, immediately stooping down, plucked up two straws, and the men, coming forward, drew. I cannot be certain, but I think it was Armstrong who drew the longer straw, and won the safety of his hide, and his fellow gamester was in quick time tied to a tree, and the punishment commenced. A hundred was the sentence, but when the bugler had counted seventy-five, the general granted him a further indulgence, and ordered him to be taken down and to join his company. The general calling for his horse, now mounted for the first time for many hours, for he had not ridden all night, not, indeed, since the drumhead court-martial had taken place. Before he put the brigade in motion again, he gave us another short specimen of his eloquence, pretty much, I remember, after this style. I give you all notice, said he, that I will halt the brigade again the very first moment I perceive any man disobey my orders, and try him by court-martial on the spot. He then gave us the word, and we resumed our march. Many who read this, especially in these peaceful times, may suppose this was a cruel and unnecessary severity under the dreadful and harassing circumstances of that retreat. But I, who was there, and was, besides, a common soldier of the very regiment to which these men belonged, say it was quite necessary. No man but one formed of stuff like General Crawford could have saved the brigade from perishing altogether, and, if he flogged two, he saved hundreds from death by his management. I detest the sight of the lash, but I am convinced the British army can never go on without it. Late events have taught us the necessity of such measures. It was perhaps a couple of days after this had taken place that we came to a river. It was tolerably wide, but not very deep, which was just as well for us, for, had it been deep as the dark regions, we must have somehow or other got through. The Avenger was behind us, and Crawford was along with us, and the two together kept us moving, whatever was in the road. Accordingly, into the stream went the light brigade, and Crawford, as busy as a shepherd with his flock, riding in and out of the water to keep his wearied band from being drowned as they crossed over. Presently he spied an officer, who, to save himself from being wet through, I suppose, and wearing a damp pair of breeches for the remainder of the day, had mounted on the back of one of his men. The sight of such a piece of effeminacy was enough to raise the collar of the general, and in a very short time he was plunging and splashing through the water after them both. Put him down, sir! Put him down! I desire you to put that officer down instantly! And the soldier in an instant, I dare say nothing loath, dropping his burden like a hot potato into the stream, continued his progress through. Return back, sir! 
said Crawford to the officer, and go through the water like the others. I will not allow my officers to ride upon men's backs through the rivers. All must take their share alike here. Wearied as we were, this affair caused all who saw it to shout almost with laughter, and was never forgotten by those who survived the retreat. General Crawford was, indeed, one of the few men who was apparently created for command during such dreadful scenes as we were familiar with in this retreat. He seemed an iron man. Nothing daunted him. Nothing turned him from his purpose. War was his very element, and toil and danger seemed to call forth only an increasing determination to surmount them. I was sometimes amused with his appearance, and that of the men around us, for, the rifles being always at his heels, he seemed to think them his familiars. If he stopped his horse, and halted to deliver one of his stern reprimands, you would see half a dozen lean, unshaven, shoeless, and savage riflemen, standing for the moment, leaning upon their weapons, and scowling up in his face as he scolded. And when he dashed the spurs into his reeking horse, they would throw up their rifles upon their shoulders, and hobble after him again. He was sometimes to be seen in the front, then in the rear, and then you would fall in with him again in the midst, dismounted and marching on foot, that the men might see he took an equal share in the toils which they were enduring. He had a mortal dislike, I remember, to a commissary. Many a time have I heard him storming at the neglect of those gentry, when the men were starving for rations, and nothing but excuses forthcoming. Send the commissary to me, he would roar. Damn him! I will hang him if the provisions are not up this night! Twice I remember he was in command of the light brigade. The second time he joined them he made, I heard, something like these remarks, after they had been some little time in Spain. When I commanded you before, he said, I know full well that you disliked me, for you thought me severe. This time I am glad to find there is a change in yourselves. End of chapter 12